Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It is Victory Lane. Today on episode 73, we are paying homage to one of the OGs in NASCAR. Do you remember that initial photo finish for the Daytona 500 with Lee Petty being declared the winner three days later? Well, guess who was declared the winner initially? Papa Siegel is going to tell you about him in this week's Wayback segment. Thank you, Duve. Welcome back, everybody, to the Wayback When segment of today's podcast. Today, we turn our attention to number 73. It's one of the lesser used numbers in NASCAR, less than 200 starts so far. Johnny Beauchamp won twice in the 73, once in 1959 and once in 1960. If you had asked him, though, he thought it should have been at least three. Are you up on your early NASCAR history? Remember that Lee Petty was declared the winner of the inaugural Daytona 500 three days after the race finished. The person initially announced as the winner was, that's right, Johnny Beauchamp. Another dubious event related to Lee Petty and Beauchamp happened at Daytona in 1961. During the second qualifying race that year for the 500, Banjo Matthews, who later made a name for himself building stock car chassis, spun in front of the field while leading. Petty and Beauchamp spun trying to avoid Matthews' car. They crashed in and through the turn four retaining wall and both landed outside the racetrack. Yikes. Beauchamp lived to tell about it but it was his last NASCAR race. Perhaps of greater interest to our host, however, car number 73 was driven by Misty Motorcrass in Disney's animated classic Cars. Miss Motorcrass was a Piston Cup racer who raced for the Rev and Go team. In Cars, Misty competed in the Dynaco 400 where she was involved in an accident caused by Chick Hicks. Say it with me, Duve. Kachiga, Kachiga. The incident must have greatly affected her or her owners and sponsors as Miss Motorcrass lost her ride in the subsequent Cars films. That's all for today. You can stop laughing or shaking your head now, Duve. And back to you. Pretty cool. The more you know, right? Thank you, Dad. Looking forward to hearing what you got on episode 74. Heck, maybe we'll even get another Cars reference. I don't know. I cannot believe that that happened. My dad sent that to me. He was like, I think you'll enjoy this week's. I was like, all right, if you say so. And I did, because that's the best movie ever. Also on the docket for today, we are going to recap Richmond, whether or not it was a good race, because that was seemed to be a big debate this week on social media. Preview Bristol this weekend for the round of 16 cutoff race. And welcome on the star of the show, Jason Schultz from Dirty Mo Media. But we will start this episode, as always, with a good old-fashioned do it with me. <laughs> Richmond Raceway recap. Let's get right into it. Brad Kozlowski gets the win, his fourth of this season. 
third on 750 horsepower tracks, which is important. We'll get to that in a minute. Actually, let's get to it right now. Um, Kevin Harvick, out of his seven wins, one of them is on 750 tracks with a small spoiler. Denny Hamlin, out of his sixth, one win is on a 750 horsepower track with a small spoiler. Does that make Brad Keselowski a championship favorite all of a sudden? Because if you didn't know, Phoenix, small spoiler, 750 horsepower track. Three of his four wins have come on those specific tracks. Same tire that's going to be used at Phoenix was used at Richmond, was also used at New Hampshire. He happened to win both of those things. Does that make him a favorite over a contender? Personally, I would lean towards yes. And I want to give a shout out to my boy, Eric Estep, who pointed that out on Twitter, like right as the race was ending. I personally think this gives him an upper hand and I, I would put some money on him if I was a betting man right now to win the championship because while you have Harvick and have Hamlin and they're going to be really good once they get there, if Brad is able to get there, he is going to be someone to watch because he's so good at these tracks with this specific package. But he's focused on the here and the now and enjoying this win in and of itself because as he says... It ain't easy. I'm just going to enjoy tonight. <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it's hard to win a cup race. These guys are really good. You know, a race like tonight, I think, easily gets sold as, ah, there weren't any wrecks. What was going on? These drivers are just good. I mean, these cars all drove so bad with that little bitty spoiler on them, a lot of horsepower. And uh, you had guys with new tires and old tires sliding around, and it's so easy to get in trouble and to wreck. And, uh, these drivers are just freaking good, and they didn't do that. And to, to win a race against drivers that are this good is uh, is pretty cool. It's uh, something I'm very proud of, and I'm going to try to soak it up. His crew chief, Jeremy Boland's also enjoying his best season to date in his Cup Series career, staying in the moment. But now that they're locked into the next round, they don't really have to worry about Bristol biting them in the butt, and they're going to be able to focus a little bit into the future. Phoenix is pretty far down the road. But looking ahead to round two, which is very unpredictable, they got the upper hand on the competition now. Yeah, I mean, it's really nice to be locked in because Bristol is certainly one of those places where things beyond your control happen quite often. Um, but as far as how we're going to approach it, you know, it's it's a lot like this week. We're going to go try to get some a stage win and a, a race win and get some more playoff points and, and keep adding to the pile for moving on through the next round. I um, I really feel like the second round is probably the toughest. There's a lot of uh, things you can't control in the second round with uh, the Roval and Talladega. So um, the more playoff points we can get, the better off we're going to be. So he won, that being Brad. Martin Trucks Jr. came home in second. Joey Logano was third. But the storyline of the night, bar none, was Austin Dillon. This guy was quick all day long, all night long. He probably had the quickest car overall based on raw speed, and I mean raw speed. It wasn't because of tire strategy. He didn't short pit. He didn't luck into it. It wasn't a strategy call. This car was on rails. It was a rocket ship, and he finished inside the top five. First time in his Cup Series career that he scored consecutive top five finishes back-to-back. -back. I'd say that was probably a good time to have your best two-race stretch of your career, and he now sits over 30 points clear of the cutoff raise your hand if you had Austin Dillon making it to the next round and yes that is nobody raising their hand because I don't believe you if you had him doing that unless you're his wife or your or your kid his kid who is like three months old at this point point is this is nuts it's wild it's crazy it's unpredictable it's why we love the playoffs and he legitimately was the best car on Saturday I think he was better than Brad if he didn't have to pit 
um, if he didn't miss pit road on the last round of green flag stops, if he didn't get a speeding penalty early on in the race, he may have been able to contend for the win and honestly would have gotten it pretty easily. He passed Kevin Harvick for the lead, or maybe it was Denny Hamlin, I forget, in the early stages. And, I mean, it, it was a sight to see. I think I was among a lot of people in the press box that were saying, like, what is going on right now? So how did this happen? Why did this happen? Is this really happening? And was Austin Dillon surprised that any of this is happening at this very moment? Um, You know, I mean, I felt... Uh... You know, our team has really kind of turned the corner the last couple of weeks and felt like RCR as a whole has had speed all year. And um, between myself, Justin, um, our engineer, Billy Scott, uh, uh, Spotter, Brandon, and, and everybody in the shop, our mechanics, we've got a really good team. And um, we've shown a lot of speed this year and didn't get some of the finishes that we deserve just because, of, I mean, I go back to Martinsville, another short track, and I blew a right rear. And... I came from dead last like four times inside the top five and never went a lap down until I overheated. And um, it's, you know, I, I just think that some of the short tracks, we didn't get to show what we really had this year. So, I mean, that was when we saw the three short tracks in the first round, I was pretty confident. Um, Darlington, um, we did we did work a little on a newer setup. Um, after the first two races, we felt that we were okay, needed to get a little better. And really just put in a little extra time and, um, you know, starting positions, a lot of that too, you know, we've, we've been able to start further forward being in the top 16 and, um, but Richmond, I've, I've always felt like that was what we circled to come win in, in this playoff run. I had two six place finishes, um, over the past you know, three races there and never got to start up front. We kind of come from the back and, um, tonight we brought something similar to that, that, and, um, it was good and just, uh, you know, I, I wish I wouldn't have um, had the speed and penalty, but we overcame that. I'm not really worried about that. We overcame the speed and penalty, but um, just I should have been a little more patient getting the pit road uh, there trying to drag everybody down and, and cost us a little bit of time. But either way, what a night for our team. And, yeah, you know, I, I think um, I've been pretty confident in this team all year, and, and now it's starting to show more and more just because we're getting the finishes. Clearly, Austin thrives when people count him and his team out. So I want to learn a little bit more about that perspective of things. And again, who had him making the next round? I did not, and I don't even know if he did, but his confidence says otherwise. Hey, Austin, kind of going off of Mark's question, I mean, I know that you said that the doubters and the haters kind of fuel you. So I know probably not under green flag conditions, you're thinking like, wow, we're really showing them. But like when you have a second to reflect under caution or when you get out of the car tonight, like, does a thought like that ever cross your mind? Like, wow, I'm glad we're proving people wrong. No, I, I'm just looking at all the people that give me love, um, the people that are there for me. And I get, I got 75 text messages for a fourth place finish. That's pretty good. I feel like, and, and people that um, have always been there for me. So um, I haven't even opened Twitter or any of that, but uh, no, the people that, that have always supported me and give me love, that's the ones you got to focus on. I feel like that's in any good business. You have to, you, you can't spend too much time focusing on the people that bring you down. You got to spend 80% on the people that are good around you and give those people what they need to keep on uh, making yourself better. And um, that is kind of what I believe in. Let's quickly talk about whether or not this was a good race. My answer is yes. Uh, was it amazing? No. Was it a barn burner? No, it was fine. It wasn't amazing, but it wasn't a terrible display and it didn't have me bored. 
Uh, Matt Weaver of Auto Week wrote a really good piece on it. Be sure to check that out. And look, having no cautions in this race besides the competition yellow and the stage breaks, that was not ideal for sure. Um, but Jeff Gluck said on the teardown that this was different because if it was on an intermediate track, you know, this would be considered a good race because it had differing strategy, comers and goers, interesting storylines developing with Ryan Blaney being on the bubble. Um, you also had Austin Dillon coming in, as I said, but this was not an intermediate track. This was a short track, or at least one that is branded as a short track. And they also talked on that specific episode about how this used to be called the action track. And we've seen anything but action recently. But his point makes sense because we expect so much action on short tracks and we didn't get any quote-unquote crashing, which led to restarts. I mean, we didn't even have a Quinn Huff spin, which I was kind of surprised about. But as I said, this race was good. Like, it was fine. You don't need to crashing, and you don't need restarts every single race to make it good. If it was a super speedway and it didn't have any crashes at all, and you didn't have any restarts or a big one, but you had really tight, close quarters racing throughout the entire event, it would have been good. It would have been fine, serviceable. But th that's what I think we need to get the point across here. Um and again, Matt Weaver laid it out really, really eloquently and did it well chronologically, too, in his article. You know, there's a difference between entertainment and sport. And once the sport's integrity is compromised, it becomes entertainment. And there was a couple people, notably Jim Utter, um, who was there this past weekend, who was basically going back and forth with Matt on Twitter, basically saying, no, this is entertainment. TV pays billions of dollars for entertainment. They don't pay it because of a sport. You know what I mean? Um, but at the same time, if it's entertainment, then we would have seen more gimmicks than we've seen in the past. And we would have seen a caution that comes out with like 10 laps to go, as Matt talked about in his article. My bottom line here is not every race needs to set the world on fire. You know what I mean? But not every race should be the worst thing you've ever seen. This was neither of those things. And it doesn't require a change. Does it require some looking into and maybe some introspection on the tire, on the package, the surface? Sure. That's great, but it's okay to have a race that is just okay, and I think that's what we had here. Also got to briefly touch on the supporting series that were on track this past weekend at Richmond. Justin Allgaier, man, he ate his Wheaties on the weekend, sweeps the weekend of races. He now has three victories in the last six events in the Xfinity Series, and he has a whole new shot of life into him and his number seven team. Again, Phoenix being the championship venue, Allgaier is really, really good there. Chase Briscoe and Austin Sindrick haven't done that much in the last two, three races, I would say. They're still there, and they're probably going to make it to Phoenix because Austin Sindrick won the regular season title. He clinched that. But you could also argue that Justin Allgaier is a championship favorite right now. You know, to, to come to a place that I, I really enjoy coming to, you know, Richmond has been a place that I've, I've had some really good runs at, and and as I talked about last night, it just seems like they never seem to come to fruition. You know, something happens, late race restarts, whatever. And I, I honestly thought today was going to be much the same, you know, with the the restart we had with, I ended up being, I think, 13 to go. But, you know, today I thought played out completely different. You know, we were one set shorter on tires. And I think that, you know, when the competition caution come out, we knew that there was going to be some movers and shakers, but we didn't know how it was going to play out. But the the biggest difference for me was when the caution came out with 10 to go or so in the stage, and and Jason Burdett made a perfect call to uh, to stay on the racetrack, to to keep 
the the laps off of our tires and, and really put us in better position for that longer run that we had um, right there after at the end of at the end of uh, the stage there. So just proud of our guys. You know, they they, they built such a fantastic race car. Um, our Camaros have been fast week in and week out. We've just not had the the finishes to show for it. And, and tonight to be able to do that was was really cool. And and, and furthermore, you know, um, this this name on my chest is is more than just a brand that sponsors a race car. Uh, brand professional agriculture has been a, a, a number one, a, a massive part of my career, but, but a great friendship, um, you know, not even just with uh, Rick brand and, and, and his family, but, but with the entire organization, with all the customers and what they do for the agriculture industry is truly, truly uh, special. And, and so to have them on board today and to be able to go back to back, you know, that was the thing last night is I was so pumped to be able to get Blake cook to victory lane and get filter time to victory lane, but then to turn that back around and, and to get, uh, to get uh, Brant to victory lane today, just made, made the weekend that much more special. How about Thor sport racing, making some truck series history, becoming the first team in truck series history to place their drivers first, second, and third. I'm surprised that in the history of the series, that's never happened. But I guess when you look at it, there hasn't been a lot of multi-truck outfits that have been competing on a full-time basis. But you had Grant Enfinger getting the win over Matt Crafton and Ben Rhodes. Johnny Sauter was unfortunately nowhere to be found. But if you listen to his radio, make sure that you wash your soap out or wash your soap out of your ears. Excuse me if I can speak because goodness me, there were a lot of F-bombs. Uh, but here's Enfinger getting another win this season. As the Truck Series regular season concluded, Derek Krause did not make it. Todd Gilliland and Tyler Ankrum did make it. And Grant Enfinger winds up in victory lane once again, coming back from a pit road penalty to get another victory in the Truck Series. Gives us uh, a lot of momentum, I feel like. And uh, to be honest with you, we we needed it. it uh, it's been a rough uh, last month and a half or two months or so. Um, we really have struggled with speed, um, probably with the exception of, of Michigan. We've just been a little off on speed. Uh, we haven't been terrible, but we've uh, we dug ourselves a hole in that first stage, whether it be just handling or or, uh, or whatnot, and, uh, and we'll get the truck better, but then we've buried ourselves into a bad track position, and we just haven't had a truck uh, good enough to overcome it. But uh, tonight, we kind of went with some stuff that's a little bit different. Uh, to be honest with you, <clears throat> Like uh, myself and Jeff Hensley, we love the short tracks, but we've uh, we struggled on them uh, a little bit. We we haven't been able to to really contend for wins at, at a short track. So, um, you know, it felt nice to to be able to have some speed tonight. Uh, not only for the momentum it gives us for the playoffs, but also to to kind of check a box. Uh, I feel like we maybe found a field that that I'm looking forward to short track. Interview time. I'm really excited for you guys to hear this one. It was it was one of the most conversational interviews that I've had in a while, and I, that's what I really strive for on this show. It's with one of the OGs of NASCAR Twitter. We go back a ways, almost 10 years. It's Jason Schultz. You know him as the producer of Door Bumper Clear at Dirty Mo Media. Also works on the Dale Jr. Download. Um, and if you're like, wait, who's that? If you listen to DBC, which you probably do, he's the producer and the one that talks every now and then that Brett always makes fun of. Um, but he has a really, really interesting story. We talked about it all. He's living in Charlotte now as a big boy, and I, I say he's a big boy kind of facetiously, as I told him, because it's just so funny to me. This guy at 12 years old, 12 years old, gave me my start in NASCAR media, and I'm, we're going to talk about that story and how, looking back on it, it's so funny. Um, why he chose Kyle Busch as his favorite driver and how that kind of shaped him. Also, just being on social media from a young age and how that shaped his career trajectory 
how important networking is and why Arandelay in Dover changed the career arc of his life. And that's not even an, an understatement. Um, we also got into a little bit of some serious topics about his mother and how doing everything on her behalf and for her has driven him really, really well to succeed in his career. And we also touched on some fun stories with Kelly, Earnhardt Miller, Dale Jr., Mike Davis, everybody from Brett, TJ, Freddie. It's really fun. So I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. It was great catching up with Jason, an awesome dude who's done some awesome work and will continue to do so. So without further ado, here's producer Jason. It is an honor and a pleasure to welcome on every guest that I have on the show, but this may top the list because we go way, way, way back, not to childhood, but to getting my start in NASCAR media. Fun fact, the man, the myth, the legend, Jason Schultz, not only of Redhead Racing Radio, but also of Dirty Mo Media, producer of Door Bumper Clear. We're going to get into it all, my friend, but um, I want to start off there. Not many people may know that you actually gave me my start as a quote-unquote media member in NASCAR when you had to be probably like 13 years old and I was older than you and I was writing for your website, turn4racingnews.com. That's a hell of an intro. What's up, my man? Thanks for having me, Davey. It is wild. Like We're back from the OG Twitter days. Like When Twitter NASCAR Twitter was developing we were the ones that were on it finding each other and i probably tweeted hey want to write for an article for the website and you're and you oh boy. crazy i remember it was mother's day like god it was probably 2011 2012 i and, think 12 um, yeah and i remember i was telling my mom because you know every kid goes through that phase where they're like oh i want to be a professional athlete so mine was like i want to be a race car driver but i don't live in the right place and i don't have the right support and i didn't start early enough yeah. And my mom, I remember on Mother's Day, we were going to take a walk somewhere. And she was like, well, you've always been a good writer. Maybe you should write about it. And I was kind of just like, okay. And I think that's when, you're right, we kind of both were interacting on Twitter just being like, hey, even though I've never met you, you're cool because you like NASCAR and you're like within five years of me. That's like how Twitter was yeah, back then. Exactly. Um, and you had this website, turn4racingnews.com, which by the way, does it still exist? Like, can you go there? Yeah, it's just turn4racingnews.wordpress.com. So I actually ah. looked you up your article. It's still there. It's still on the website. Really? If you ever, if ever need to send it in for any like clips oh, wow. or anything, it's there. Well, if, well, if you want to refer me to a job and uh, you want Mike Davis to have some clips, look no further. I'll be like, this he wrote, news. we go back to 2012, he wrote this article, it's brilliant, hire him right now. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, no, but yeah, so like like you said, that was the OG days of NASCAR yeah. Twitter, and you were younger than me at that point, and I kind of was like, why am I writing for this guy's website? <laughs> like, who is he? Never met the guy, Nobody. it's kind of weird. Yeah. But that, like, I feel like we were early adopters in that respect, because like, yeah. I got on Twitter because I knew that Kevin Harvick and Delana Harvick were on it. And that's when I was in my like big Kevin Harvick fanboy phase. And I was like, I want to see what they're talking about. And that's why mm -hmm. I hopped on it. Yeah. I similar to me. Like I just, you know, watching NASCAR and you hear them talking about social media and Twitter at the time, it was right. this new thing and everybody was on it. And I remember like everyone's so interactive back in those days, you could tweet anybody and there's a good chance you were going to get a reply oh, yeah. or coordinate with someone. One funny story, uh, like NASCAR on speed used Twitter a lot. Too. I won so, so many giveaways from them, dude. Yeah, exactly. Like they that giveaways, and then like for race day and stuff, they'd be like, "Hey, send us questions while us the drivers." I remember, I think it was 2012. I had like a nine week straight straight streak 
of getting my questions asked on the show. <laughs> and I would screenshot every time I post on my Instagram. I've deleted them since then, but it was like <laughs> so cool to like how social oh, media, yeah. like we developed, like we kind of grew up on social media, yeah. shaped our interest and then it shaped our career paths. Pretty crazy. Yeah, I was going to say it's cool now that we're kind of coming full circle and yeah. now we're on a podcast talking about it. I, I did the same thing, actually. I didn't have a streak of nine weeks like you did, but mm-hmm. I know I remember one time because I actually popped up in my time hop like last week when um, a question that I asked Michael Waltrip. So this dates us because that's when he was still racing. Yeah, it's a question I asked Michael Waltrip and Miss Sprint Cup asked him on like I think it was still Race Hub back then. Yep. But she asked him, and there was also a question, and this is like the ultimate freak out for me. It was probably 2012, 2013, because it was when NASCAR was still on ESPN. Mm-hmm. And um, it was before the race at New Hampshire. And maybe it was Ricky Craven or somebody, but they got um, in Kevin's car and talked with him before the race. And they asked him a question that I submitted. And oh. I didn't know that it was happening. So when <laughs> it was happening... I freaked out, and and back then I was super superstitious, uh, so like I wouldn't talk during the race, I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't drink, I wouldn't move. I just had race view up on my computer, like yeah. that was it. And um, my mom was like in the other room, and I was screaming. She's like, "What? What happened?" I'm like, "They asked Kevin my question. Oh my god, I was freaking yeah. out." So yeah, like that, it paid to be on Twitter early in yeah. those days because you got clout from it, and we didn't know even yeah. know what clout was back then. Yeah, it's before it existed. And that, like, we were on it so early, we've seen it transform and, like, develop into what it is today. And I feel like that gives us an advantage because, yeah, like, how you report and do your journalism stuff on social media is really unique and really made for social, and I love it. And I feel like I've done similar stuff of how you develop your content and how knowing from where NASCAR came from on social media to where it is now, like, we've been on the ride, so we know what to kind of how to shape our stuff. Yeah, it's true. Honestly, like, the way that I kind of, like, format my tweets, specifically, like, when I tweet out this podcast, right? Mm. Honestly, shape it a lot from what you've done at Dirty Mo Media with like the episode title and then like yeah. little topics of what's going on in the episode with the specific emojis that come with that. Yeah. And like my girlfriend makes fun of me. She's like, wow, you have enough emojis in that tweet. I'm like, no, I actually don't. Because like, let's say right now, right? We're talking about early beginnings. I'll like yeah. go on the emojis and I'll search like early beginnings, like start yeah. or something and find some emoji that I didn't even know existed and yeah. I'll post it. So like, because like we said, from the early adopting stage, like you tweeted so much like dumb shit that yeah. you don't even want to look at now. And like, I've done a Twitter search. I'm not afraid to admit <laughs> and like done these keywords yeah. and like found some stuff that I was like, wow, even though I was 13, 14 years old, that probably could come back to bite me. Yeah. Um, but even back then, like you didn't, nobody used emojis. Were they even a thing? I don't know. You just yeah. like tweeted back and forth with people like it was nothing, but it's evolved so much specifically in the industry and within NASCAR too that like a lot of people have their specific brand and Dirty Mo is kind of at the forefront of things when it comes to not only social media but podcasting obviously and I think you have a lot to do with that and how they've presented themselves on social because you've been at it for so long even though you're so young still. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Like, I feel like I was a fan of Dirty Mo before I even started working there. Like, as a kid, I yeah. consumed their content, and it's all Mike Davis. He's, he's a brilliant at what he does. Dale's uh, brand manager has been with him for, I think, 17, 18 mm-hmm. years. Like, his vision for all that and how content works, that's what Dirty Mo does, and it's a testament to all, everything he's done that makes it what it is today. So you mentioned Dirty Mo. You're in Charlotte now working as a big boy. 
And I say that kind of like facetiously because, as I said, I was working for this guy when he was younger <laughs> than me. But I see you got some Patriots flags in the yeah. background there. But you're all moved into your new apartment. You're officially an adult living in Charlotte on your own. Are you enjoying it so far? I know that like it's weird right now being in quarantine, so you can't yeah. really like get the full effect. But it seems like you're thriving down there. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. I Luckily, I got a good three months before um, COVID hit mm-hmm. to kind of embrace adult life, get into it. And I feel like just as the quarantine started, I was like, you know, I feel comfortable being an adult now. And then of course everything, you know, gets thrown for a loop, but no, it's fun. I enjoy have my own place working full time, which is, you know, we talked about before the show, a wild change from college. So mm-hmm. been adjusting to that all year, but no, it's been good. You've been working since you were like 12, as I said. And one of the questions I have down is what made you want to get into, first of all, I guess, writing about NASCAR when you were that young, but you just seem like you've been driven your entire life, kind of pun intended, I guess, to make a name for yourself and make a career in the media industry of the sport since before a lot of people knew what they wanted to watch on television. I mean, literally, I think you weren't you like 12 years old when you started the website? I think so. I remember eighth grade, like fall year of eighth grade, just kind of, I think I had been on social media on Twitter the whole year and saw Bob Pockris, Jenna Fryer, Jeff Cluck, seeing yeah. what they're doing, like, and Jim Under too, he was one of the big influences early days of uh, social media, but seeing what they're doing, I was like, no, oh, that's so cool. They get to go to the racetrack and write about NASCAR and post it and share it on social media and have conversations like I that. I want to do that. Yeah. I'm like, that looks so cool. So I started doing that and I was, you know, in eighth grade, we don't know how to write in eighth grade. Like I wrote, <laughs> I, I went back and read some articles sometimes. I'm like, they are so terribly it's written. Trash. But I think um, that 10,000 hours rule that Malcolm Gladwell talks about in his book Outliers, one of my favorite books of all time. And it's talking about like getting your 10,000 hours of experience to build up to like an expertise level. I don't think I'm anywhere near expertise level, but starting when you're young, like we did yeah, absolutely doing work and con- like content production that now we're almost, you know, early twenties, we've developed so we put so much time into it that we're really strong at what we do so that like that wasn't my motivation at the time but that since i've kind of reflected on starting out young getting stuff done and developing that experience and that experience is what pays off so like what was your motivation at that time though was it more so kind of like you were too young and too dumb to realize anything else so you were like well i like nascar i like interacting with people i might as well just like stay on twitter 24 7 i like to write about it i might as well just start a website so was there really no motivation behind it It was more so just like fun yeah i think so i did like as a kid i loved sports i loved newspapers i was obsessed with newspapers for some reason like we my cousins i would go to our family's lake house and like write newspapers like as we were of the day or whatever so i've always (laughs) been interested in journalism from that early young age Mm -hmm. i think that was like wanting to do that more writing about NASCAR and like loving NASCAR and wanting to be more involved and then shared on social media. I think that all that together was motivation. I'm curious. And I think I'll probably know the answer. Um, but when you were a kid, like going to school, middle school, high school, like hanging out outside of school, were you known as like the NASCAR kid and everybody was like, Oh, this kid watches NASCAR. Like what the hell is wrong with him? Like, or did you have a lot of friends that actually were into it too? No, definitely no friends that were into it. That's why social media played a huge role. Right. But I think I hid my NASCAR fandom and probably until I was like a junior or senior high school. Like I didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to be known for it. I had a couple guys that I knew knew NAS like like or watched NASCAR. Uh And so that was probably the extent of that. Why did why were you like afraid to talk about it? You were I don't know. 
I don't I think so. It's like, cause especially you're kind of, um, you're from Maryland, which is a little further South than New York, but like that wasn't like in New York, it's not really NASCAR. It. It's not really it, yeah. big. And I bet um, you experienced some of that too, but it's just like, it's not the cool thing to be into. Like I loved other sports too. And I was a huge Patriots, Red Sox, mm-hmm. Celtic, like I loved all those sports too. And so I was more, you know, okay with showing that side of my sports fandom, but like NASCAR was, I watched it every weekend. I literally came home and watched trackside on Friday all the covers Saturday, race day and race on Sunday. Yeah. But like during the week, it was like total, like, oh yeah, I'm just a totally different person at school. No, I, I get it because I would wear like my NASCAR stuff to school on a Monday after like the team formerly known as the Redskins, after the Washington football team would win and everybody would be wearing their jerseys or it'd be the NBA playoffs. And I mean, like they'd be wearing wizard stuff yeah. and I'd just be chilling wearing NASCAR stuff or like, you know, people would want to hang out on a weekend and I'd be like, nah, I got a race to watch. And I mean, you know, this is from when I'm eight years old to now, 20, 24 yeah. years old. So there, there's times when you, you kind of are mad at yourself for being so indoctrinated into it from a young age and so obsessed with it. But then there's those days where you get to go to the track, you get to live out your dream. Like I'm sure there's some days where, and we'll get into it, but like you got to pinch yourself when you're talking to Blake Shelton over zoom producing yeah. like the number one podcast in the NASCAR industry. Um, or like I actually just finished listening to DBC before we started this and you're talking to Bubba, who's been at the forefront of, you know, social change in this Mm. country in a moment that like the world is never going to forget, like legitimately. So, Mm. you know, like there's some days where you're like, damn, like why couldn't I have just chosen football or like (laughs) basketball? But I think for the most part, and I I think you'd probably agree with me now, like now that you're older, you've got a degree, Mm. you're making a name for yourself. You have made a name for yourself. I'm sure that you probably are thanking your younger self for keeping you ingrained in it and keeping you on the path that you were. Yeah, definitely. It's like, I don't remember, like I was motivated to do it, but like, I don't remember what maybe keep doing every year, but now it's like, it's paid off eight years right. of doing content and doing work and doing stuff with NASCAR and trying to get to where I am now. Like it all paid off. It seems like it went by so fast and I don't remember most of it, but like I'm here where I am now. So are. I'm thankful that that it happened. What made you choose Kyle Busch as your favorite driver as a kid? Was it the M&M's thing or was it something else? Yeah, it was the M&M's thing. First of all, Ryan Newman was my first favorite driver. I tried to convince Brent and TJ of this. They don't believe me, but like my dad loved Ryan Newman. So I loved Ryan Newman. And this was when Ryan Newman was, you know, winning a lot. So of course, as a kid. So that was my first. But then I think Kyle and M&M's and being a kid, that all kind of influenced it. And of course, again, he was successful, like he was being right. successful. One other thing that I think Kyle was, he his first year was 2005. That was my first year as a fan. I remember a lot from that year. So I think that probably played into it too. And I remember on Twitter in the early days, um, I think you were interacting with Samantha Bush a lot and you guys actually yeah. developed like a legitimate relationship, didn't you? Like, like you yeah, were cool yeah. with each other. Yeah, no, that was awesome. Like she was always so nice and just was so insp- like helpful. I told her what I wanted to do, want to be a journalist in NASCAR at the time. So I wrote an article after I met her at a Kyle Busch appearance in like 2012 and she retweeted it and said like, you're going to be the next Marty Smith. I'm like, oh, that's so all like that's her sick. saying that. Then I read the article now and it's complete trash, but I'm like, <laughs> yeah, she like it believed in me. And one really cool thing in two, uh, 2013, I was at Watkins Glen and before the race saw her, and she's like, if Kyle wins today, come to Victory Lane with us. So Kyle won that day, got to go to victory lane and wow. that was kind of staying off to the side, but it was like, just cool to be like, experience that. Wow. Oh, tell me more about that. How did you get in? Like, what was she like? Yo, this guy's with me, get him in. Like, how did that happen? So it was kind of like, um, I was as a fan watching the stands and the Watkins Glen, like you've been in Watkins Glen before, yeah. like you can go the infield 
and then you get to the gates where pit road is and you're kind of not supposed to be there but this gate was you know the path to victory lane was open and i was like all right sweet so i walked to the gate and i'm like hey samantha and she's like come on and so that was pretty cool is that the first time that you guys met a person um no we had i think that was probably the second year i I met her a bunch of times yeah right and this will not make Twitter because I cannot have Fred and TJ's and Freddie's uh, response to this. But this is a good pod story. Yes. No, it will not make Twitter. Don't worry. Um, and we'll get to that, too, because I know they give you a bunch of shit, but it's it's out of respect. And, I, and I'll get to that theory <laughs> later. Um, also, I think that we personally, like, low-key had a rivalry back in those days because I was, mm-hmm. I was the biggest Kevin guy. You were a huge Kyle yeah. guy. I probably was more outwards with my Kevin fandom than you were with your Kyle stuff. But... And I don't know if you know this story, but I actually am still blocked by Kyle on Twitter because oh, really? um, in 2011 at Darlington, you remember when like Kevin went in Kyle's car and tried yeah. to punch him and then yeah. Kyle like um, put like Kevin's car into the pit road wall. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, I don't know for sure, but I think I tweeted something like trashing Kyle that night because, mm-hmm. you know, as however, you know, 15 year old boys do at that time. <laughs> and I think he just blocked me then. And I haven't been unblocked since. So like, oh, wow. I remember I put on my snap story one time, like he was in the media center, I think at Vegas and I pulled up his Twitter account and it said like this block, this user has blocked you from viewing their tweets yeah. and I like zoomed in on him. And then I zoomed in on the, on the computer and I was like, you know what, here we are like eight years later, still nothing. Yeah. So I have, I have a plan that if, and when emphasis on the when I get like mm-hmm. a one-on-one interview with him, I'm going to kill it. You know, yeah. going to be great. We're going to have a great vibe. And then at the end, I'm going to be like, so like, I think this has gone pretty well, Kyle. Would you say the same? He'll say, yeah, of course, you know? Yeah. And then I'll say, so do you think you can unblock me on Twitter now? He'll be like, what? <laughs> and then I'll explain the story. I'll be like, I was really yeah. dumb. It was before I had a career <laughs> in the media. Like I was a Kevin fanboy. Yeah. It was just a young, dumb thing. And then he'll unblock me and then it'll be great. And we'll be homies. Oh, that's awesome. That'd be sweet. This is random, but imagine a kyle kevin rivalry still to today what if they this whole last Ooh. decade they were like the biggest rivals i think that would be huge that would for be nascar great. if that, that continued be because if we don't I mean, we haven't had like a long-term rivalry but that yeah. could have been that could have been the spark of it in 2011 when that it darlington incident happened and then carried on through the whole decade and they're battling for yeah. wins and championships and now they're t- like close with wins like that would have been sweet and this is this is kind of an aside but you talk about these types of topics on your guys's podcast redhead mm-hmm. racing radio so check that out but um that, that's a really good point because now and it kind of like shocked me when it happened because I was still kind of in the, in like the fanboy phase. But when Kevin had kids and Kyle had Brexton, um, that's when they kind of mellowed out and like became friends. Yeah. And I was like, you can't be friends. You hate each other. Yeah. Like I sp- I'm supposed to hate Kyle. Like all the Kyle fans are supposed to hate Kevin. But when they became friends and even like this past weekend at Richmond, like I was at the track and I saw them walking over the pit wall and they were just talking and it's been that way for like three four years but it, it really does make you think because like now kyle is a, is a multi-time champion probably the best current driver that we have when he's not in his slump that he's in right now harvick's having the best year of his career it'd be crazy to, to imagine if they legitimately still hated each other mm. and they were going at it week after week because i can't really think of the last time that we've had a consistent long yeah. rivalry with like two borderline superstars like mm-hmm. Bowman and Bubba don't like each other, but they're not winning races every week. Yeah. Um, nobody really likes Logano, but he's it's kind of like Logano versus everybody. There's not really mm-hmm. a driver on driver rivalry that we've had in a really long time. And I think that's kind of why some of the and if you're listening, any boomers, sorry for triggering you. But I feel like that's why some of the boomers like don't really like 
NASCAR as much now as they did back then because it's not really like what they grew up with. Yeah. Like imagine we weren't old enough to experience the Earnhardt Gordon rivalry in the nineties, but I'm oh dying God, for something like that, that to start. And I was thinking who I said this probably on redhead racing radio, whether I can't remember who it is. I think it was two young guys. I wanted to see fight, whether it was chase or someone else who's going to be successful for the mm-hmm. next 10 years. Oh, who has chase gotten into or chase and Kyle. I think that was my example. Yeah. It was chase and Kyle. Like after that Darlington incident earlier this year, imagine them being like, Kyle's probably going to race for another decade and chase is going to be around probably for another yeah. decade, two decades. Like imagine those guys going at it and hating each other. Like don't be friends, like fight. I want to see some action. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm completely with you there. I want to see Matty D just like drop somebody. Yeah. Yeah. But he's, he's too nice to, but he's also too yoked to not to, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, maybe eventually who knows um let's get back to you because one of my best friends he's not listening his name's chad um but he always has told me that like i am really good at networking and you know getting my name out there talking to the right people shaking hands kissing babies the whole nine you my friend you take that to a whole nother level and you've always been really really good at networking i think a way to describe it is just kind of like you get it and there's some people in the industry that do. There's some people in the industry that don't. I'm not pretending that I know everything because I that's could not be further from the truth. But for somebody that's your age, has gotten to where you have, it's because you're good at what you do, but it's also because you network really, really well. When did that start for you and how did you develop that skill? No, for sure. And you're great at it too. Seriously, like getting to where we are today, like we both have nailed yeah, that. For sure. I don't know. I think that started, it started back when I was um, 16. I got the opportunity to work at the this golf tournament with some NASCAR drivers. Drive for autism. Drive for right. autism. And so started 2014, got a DM, say, hey, you want to come cover social media at the event? I was like, yeah, for sure. And so that was my first kind of like in the industry kind of experience. And I was just had unlimited access to a ton of drivers, a ton of broadcasters. And it was just kind of like going up to them and saying, Hey, I'm Jason. I'm doing social media. You might have to get a few pictures of you and having a small conversation. And as a 16 year old terrified of like talking to these people I've watched my whole life, but I think it was just kind of getting those reps in and getting mm-hmm. that experience. And I did that. Good point. You know, I was like, we both probably couldn't go to the media center and be media members at the track until we turned 18. And mm-hmm. so that was my struggle too. I never sat foot in a, garage until I turned 18. So like waiting to that point. So that yeah. golf tournament helped me get able to get some experience in the industry and meet some people. So it started out small like that, getting to talk to some people like Larry Mack. I met, I think I met him actually at Bristol one year. He, he's followed me on Twitter since I was like, since like those early days Damn, too, which is wild. That's a flex. I was kind of like, Hey, and I was, cause I probably DM'd him something yeah. and he just yeah, followed yeah, yeah. me back. I was like, has unfollowed me since. So that's appreciated. But he was at the golf tournament too. We've had great conversations for years and now he still knows who I am. Same with like Justin Allgaier before he was even at JRM kind of, he was, he's the nicest guy in the world. And so like, he was just so nice to be able to have a conversation with this kid who's asking him to take a picture of him and just super nice like that. So like kind of getting the reps in like that. Another funny story. I met Danica at this golf tournament and I was a kid, like 16 year old, don't really know what I'm doing went up to shake her hand and I probably, I did a weak handshake and she was like, no, no, let me show you how to do this, which is kind of embarrassing that Danica had to show me how to like <laughs> give her proper handshake. Makes her like, a great story now though. Yeah, I know, but she's a badass and it was like yeah. so cool to have that experience. And I was scared to death to talk to her. That's probably why I couldn't probably hold my hand straight to shake I her hand. I would have been scared too. Like, um, and then she waved to me the rest of the day. It was so nice. I was like, yeah, 
that was my one Danica moment, but like stuff like that. Networking is that's how I got some experience with that. Then as I started getting older and I was like, I'm going to go to college, want to get into sport and stuff. Still not old enough to go in the media center, but I met um, Tiff Daniels, who's now she used to work at Hendrick Motorsports with Dale's PR rep. Mm-hmm. Um, loved her on Dirty Mo Radio, and that's how I knew her. So met her in her first race PR repping for Dale, and was just kind of like, "Hey, Tiff!" Like, and had an interaction with her, and like, still to this day, like, she's really helpful, helped me um, with recommendations and everything. And it's like networking and meeting people from a young age has really paid off, and that experience of doing it early is what really, I think, has helped me throughout um, building my career and stuff. Yeah, th- those are some really cool stories. I I remember a couple times because you worked that the drive for autism stuff with a uh, mutual friend Elijah Burke, and yeah. I remember I saw you two like posting stuff. Weren't you like in the Hollywood Hotel with Danielle Trotta yeah, and Chris I, Myers at Dover yeah. at one point? That was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was awesome. I remember I was like, damn, I go to Dover every single year. I'm trying to do the same thing that they're doing. I just need to get the access, and I couldn't. Yeah. I was like, damn. Um, but that's cool. And then speaking of the networking and Dover. Uh, you told this story on Redhead Racing Radio, but during a rain delay a few years back, has to be going on, what, five, six years at this point. Yeah. Um, you just sent it, had the balls to go up to Mike Davis mm-hmm. and introduce yourself, start a conversation, and the rest is history, right? Yeah, and that was that same uh, Hollywood Hotel okay, weekend. That was it. a freaking while. So that was my first time, just turned 18 a few months ago, media media access for the first time was there to cover social media for drive for autism because they happen to be co-sponsoring the race now mm-hmm. so like a big step up so got media access first day in the media center like total newbie like don't know what i'm doing don't know what to do anything like that but i had a list of things i want to accomplish as my first week in the media center one of them was introduce myself to mike davis and i had been a huge dirty mo radio dirty mo media fan you were like an early adopter of them yeah, yeah. I think Kelly Earnhardt's podcast is what got me into yep. uh, listening to all those podcasts. That was 2014. She told some incredible stories and incredible guests. So it was just a huge fanboy of Dirty Mo Radio. And I would tweet about them all the time, like probably annoyingly to them, but like it, they paid off now. I tweeted all the time to them. And so, like Mike Davis had mentioned, he did at that time, he wasn't Dale's full time road manager. He was going to select races, and that happened to be one he was at. I'm like, this is perfect. Like, the one weekend he's going to be there, I'm going to be there. I've got to introduce myself. My plan was like just to kind of say, hey, say I'm a huge fan of Journey Mode Radio, and then just probably part ways, not really do anything. But so we were sitting in the media center. My, if you've been to the Dover Media Center, like you either sit forward or backwards. So I was staring at the back of the wall where the PR reps were. I'm like, that's Mike Davis back there. And I was like, all day long trying to build up the courage to go say hi, go say something. And it's like, it's so awkward even today, like at work, going to people's offices, it's not knowing really if they're awkward. like super yeah. busy and be like, this could be the worst time in the world to ask them mm-hmm. something, but like, I don't know how else to do it. So I'm just going to go up and talk to him. So probably shaking like crazy again, but went up to him and was like, Hey Mike, do you have a second? I just want to introduce myself. My name's Jason. Um, a huge, I'm here working for drive for autism this weekend. I'm a huge fan of dirty, my radio, dirty, my media. And he was like, yeah, he wants to sit down for a second. So it turned in, I was thinking, you know, a one minute say, hey, and part ways, but he sat down. We had a whole huge 15 minute conversation. I told him what I was planning to go to college at UNC Charlotte, wanted to work in the NASCAR industry, um, had some podcasting experience and was just like trying to network and get uh, another connection in the NASCAR industry. And it turned into this huge conversation about Dirty Mo Radio, Dirty Mo Media, what the future was like, what they were trying to do, what I was trying to do with my life. And um, stay connected with him that whole fall. But like, it was all because just went up to him and 
like that changed my life being able to talk to him yeah. like that and just being able to go up and have that conversation. And it all has paid off significantly since then, but it was all because of that one, one, one day at Dover the media center. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in the exact same position, like whether that be at, at the track at the media center or at another job, like at work, just trying to build up the courage to like interrupt this person's day. You know yeah. that they're important. You know that they have pull and you know that they probably don't care about you. But then, you know, for eight out of 10 people that just shoo you to the side, there's those two people or that one person that will take you under your wing and that mm. will give you the time of day. Uh, you mentioned Marty Smith earlier, and this mm. actually happened this past February in Daytona, but I had never gotten the chance to meet him, talk to him. I think I actually did once before, but it was like a two second interaction and it was still my Kevin fanboy phase. Um, and like, he has been the guy that I am striving to be like mm. personality wise, charisma wise, work ethic wise, everything. Like he has a saying, work, uh, work hard, be kind. The rest will take care of itself. Mm. I have that on my business card. Um, so I saw him at the Daytona media center. I think he like just flew in from somewhere and he was flying out the next day to go interview Brooks Kepka in San Francisco. And he's Marty Smith. Like he, he's got a lot going on. Everybody's coming up to him like saying, Oh, how are you? Haven't seen you in a while. Yada, yada. And I finally just like got the courage and I was just like, I was really nervous because I was like, this is my idol in this industry. I was like, I was like, Mr. Smith. Hi, I'm Davey. Nice to meet you. I just want to introduce myself. Do you have a second to chat? He's like, sure, man. Take a seat, man. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um, yeah. And um, so like we talked for a little bit and he could not have been more nice. Like, and he's the same dude that you see on TV and listen to on a podcast that he is in real life. And he gave me one piece of advice, which was handwritten notes are very, very, very underrated. And um, so the race obviously got rained out and ran on a Monday, but he had to leave. So mm -hmm. I wrote him a handwritten note and I was going to give it to him the next uh. day. But since he wasn't there, I was going to give it to Ryan McGee to give to him. Um, but then Ryan Newman's accident happened and that threw mm -hmm. everything for a whirl. So I wasn't able to get that to him. Uh, but he gave me his email and I sent that to him over email. He hasn't like responded because I think he's bad at technology. He admits that himself. But I saw him at Martinsville like sitting in his truck. And I just talked to him again for a little bit. And it's like little things like that. Mm. Like, I doubt he remembers my name, but he, he remembered my face. He said so. And like that in and of itself yeah. is crazy to me. And it's it's just a reminder of like, even though you're nervous and for anybody yeah. that's listening, that's in kind of like a similar spot in whatever industry, like just do it. It's going to mm. feel awkward in the moment. It's going to feel nerve wracking. But once you do it and once you go back to your seat, you're going to be like, damn, I'm so glad I did that. And you did that yeah. with Mike. It changed your life, like you said. And yeah. I'm sure before that and since then, you've done it hundreds of times with other people that have also altered the trajectory of your career personally and professionally. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes you go up to someone and they're just 100%. really busy. They don't really have time. But you're like, you've got to work through that and still build up the courage mm -hmm. to do the next time. And that's how I think that's how the game works, especially for the media industry where it's no so doubt. competitive, so few jobs. You just got to be that person that stands out. And I feel like we've both done a good job at doing that in our career so far. Yeah, you can, you can be really good. But if you're not a nice person and you don't know the right people, yeah. it ain't going to matter. Um, yeah. So you wound up getting an internship at Dirty Mo Media, I believe. And you go you grew pretty close with Kelly Earnhardt Miller because I think that also was a relationship that was forged off of Twitter. This should just be called the yeah. Twitter episode. Um, yeah. But that internship experience, before we get into what it led to and just being close with Kelly, that just sounds like an amazing experience. How was it? No, it was awesome. And it was 
me being persistent about keeping in touch with Mike Davis. Cause that was the 2016 was the fall where Dale had his concussions and was out for the rest of the year. So that was probably, I don't know, a month or so after that Dover race. So it was like Mike's world got turned upside down for the rest of the year. So of course he wasn't probably as focused on growing dirty Mo media at the mm-hmm. time because he had to deal with a major crisis with his uh, driver at the time. So uh, stay persistent with kind of keeping in touch with him and um, sent a bunch of emails and then finally sent one email in December. I'm like, Hey, I might just want to reach out again. I hope you had a great year or I probably didn't say that because it wasn't that great year, <laughs> but um, said, Hey, I can send my rent. Like we were still talking about potentially doing something with Dirty Mo Media. And I'm like, I can send my resume and cover letter and stuff like that. If you'd like to take a look and see what, like talk about the future. And so say, say, um, he said, yes, responded with it. And then um, didn't, then I was like, I wonder if he got it. I wonder if he's even looking at it. And then one day Dale Jr. Tweeted a picture from Mike's office and F Mike doing something goofy. No way. And then on the corner of his desk, this is my name in huge letters on my oh, resume. Wow. And it was like, all right, I guess he got it. There it is. And that's that was unreal. Huge. And like, that was the end of my freshman year at college. I was like, this is freaking crazy. Oh my gosh. And so luckily later, I think a little bit, a few weeks after that, started talking with Dirty Mo Media a lot about potential opportunities for next year and then kind of continued talking to them until the beginning of the year and was able to start editing um, two of their podcasts for 2017, uh, Kelly Renard's podcast, Fast Lane Family at the time, and then Justin Allgaier's JRM Upfront podcast. So that was crazy. Edited those for 2017 and built like I was using my experience from, you know, doing a podcast with my friend Garrett. I think yeah. he, he probably listened to that one I listened to it. Of course. Garrett be what, baby? Garrett by yeah. time. You know it one of my best friends still. So it's great. Like it's, we all connected. This is another like Twitter know, man. connection from early days. So like using that experience, got to start editing some, you know, professional level podcasts and started doing that in 2017, which was huge. And, um, was just good experience to get, get in the door, start working, showing what I'm capable of, and then hopefully getting to lead to more stuff after that. Which it did because you wound up being hired back full-time at dirty mo media at that point. And I know that you've said um, a few times, you know, that was your ultimate goal. Like, I mean, how old are you now? What, 21, 22? 22, yep. Yeah. Um, so you're 22 years old. And when you were 21, you know, you achieved your mm-hmm. goal, at least up until that point mm-hmm. in your professional career. You you got a full-time job working in NASCAR. And the fact that you did that at 21 years old made it all the more impressive. Mm -hmm. But once you reflected on that for a little bit and, you know, maybe you got the job offer and you went back home to your apartment or your dorm or whatever, like take me through the feelings of that when you realize that you're going to be working for Dale Jr.'s media company for something that you've consumed their content for years upon years. Mm -hmm. This is what you wanted to do for as long as you can remember. And you have now achieved your goal. Yeah, no, it was wild. And just doing that stuff throughout college and building that experience and, you know, doing a ton of stuff, learning so much from everyone that's at Dirty Mo Media and how they're the best at the best of what they do content wise. So being able to learn from them, get experience and the funny way, I I think I told this on DBC once, but the way I found out I had the full-time job was Mike Davis sent me a text and I was in class. He's like, Oh, just kind of like, Hey, I'm working up on your job offer. I'm like, Oh, thanks for the update over text in class. And (laughs) It was just wild that that's how I found out, but it was like, you know, three years of worth of hard work paid off and so thankful that Mike 
was going to take a chance on hiring a 21 year old full time yeah. to do his content. I'm probably the youngest person working at Dirty Mo Media by 10 years. So it's like, wow. he doesn't have to trust someone like me to work on his team and be able to produce content. That's really important and um, brings in a lot of money and all that kind of stuff and sponsors. But um, it was just pretty, it's just wild to think that um, having that goal from a young age of working in NASCAR and doing content, all that stuff to, you know, do all that stuff to get to that point and then finally being able to, work full-time in the sport and say I work in NASCAR like that was always the goal and pretty uh, it was just wild to accomplish that yeah um you definitely had to be proud of yourself I was proud of you I am proud of you um and I know somebody else that also is proud of you and I apologize for not bringing it up before because I know this is kind of like a heavy thing so we can edit this out if you want no problem no, you're good you're um good. but I know that your mom was really important to you and she passed away when you were younger and um I remember that when you got, it might've been the internship at 30 Mo or when you got the full-time job offer, you posted like a really heartfelt message, basically like to your mom saying like, you know, I told you that I would get a full-time job in the sport and I would make you proud and I would like yeah. achieve my goal. And I did. And I know that you're like looking down and yeah. you're really happy for me. And like, you've supported me with all that. And I know, and I know in that moment too. And I mean, every single day that goes by too, I'm sure that that's gotta be really, really, a proud moment for you and a proud thing that you can look back on. No. Yeah, for sure. And that's like most, I think that's what motivated me for the last five or years to get to where I am today was telling her one of the last things I ever said, it was like, I'm going to work in NASCAR and do what I've always told you I was going to do. And so be able to get to that level, it was just kind of like, I just never had like a doubt in my mind. That I like, I would do that. And it just kind of worked out so well. And I'm kind of like, I think it was her influence. That was like her pushing me, Mm-hmm. to get to that point, to work hard, to be able to get done what I said I was going to get done. And I don't know, it's just, I always try to post something like maybe once a year, just kind of thanking her for mm-hmm. that, kind of the influence she's had in my life and be able to push me to work hard and get things done and do the best I can be and um, all that stuff. So it's, I don't know, it's crazy to think about that. It's kind of like, I wish I could tell it, like we could share the success of yeah. being able to accomplish that. But um, just knowing that that's, I know how that interaction would have gone regardless. So just being proud of that and be able to live with that. No doubt. Yeah. She's looking down. She's proud of you, man. That gave me goosebumps. Really. Um, thank you for sharing that too. I appreciate yeah. it. Um, let's get back to Dale Jr. Cause he runs this damn company and I'm sure that working with him for him mm-hmm. has to be pretty cool. Were, were you ever starstruck with him? Like, was there ever a moment when you were younger and you were, you know, doing work in the office, but you're like, oh my God, that's Dale Jr. And then like, when's the first time you guys had an interaction when you chatted? Cause now you work on his podcast and it's just crazy how this has all come full circle. But was there any time that you were starstruck at all? Yeah, probably. Uh, there's like, I I probably saw him around the office a few times, but of course he had no idea who I was. And right. it's a funny story. The first time I actually interacted, like first interaction with him was, 2019 if you remember on dvc i tore my meniscus playing basketball yeah when are you gonna play tj in basketball by the way well that was supposed to happen last year and then this year i was like oh yeah we'll do it this year then pandemic hits just check the data check the data yeah exactly he probably (laughs) will pull that up and be like hey we were supposed to play this year he'll probably bring a ton of stats to the games too Oh, of course but uh tore my meniscus was going to work at uh, for DBC that day in 2019, DBC taped after DJD. So had my friend actually drop me off at JRM in the morning and I was hobbling on crutches and the DJD hasn't started recording yet. And so they're all just kind of hanging around and I'm like hopping in the office through crutches. And then Dale comes out. I was like, what did you do, man? I was like, oh, I tore my meniscus playing basketball. And I don't even know who, if he knows who, knows who I am at that point. 
and that was our first like interaction. And then he was kind of giving me some advice on, oh, well, once it once you heal up, it'll be better and stronger than ever it was before. And I was like, oh, thank, I appreciate that. So that was such a weird. Like, like Dale was, Jr. just blessed my meniscus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it healed fully. It was like crazy. But that was a funny first interaction. That was before I really worked on anything. Yeah. DJD Watts is all DBC, but um, it's been cool to like, I don't know, just be able to like give him a head nod walking through the office now. Yeah. It's just like something that I never expected or been able to do. But, you know, I'll start that day on crutches. So subtle flex. I love it. What is he, um, what does he like to work for? Is he an intimidating boss? Is he, does he, you know, I guess try to, does he compliment you? Does he encourage you? Like, how is he to work for? No, he's great. It's, um, he's just so, he loves Dirty Mill Media and what it does and what we do and content like that. So it's he's super baby. encouraging about being able to put out good content. And he's a super creative and talented himself to be able, especially those ad reads you hear on Dale Jr. Download all the time. Like he Hello. loves that stuff. And it's just like fun, crazy Zip stuff like recruiter. that. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, I remember those ads more than any other ads on any other podcast yeah. just because into them and so creative like that to be able to do fun stuff like that and it's just awesome to be able to like he's just i don't know always encouraging just to be creative do really cool things push you to do really cool things and you want to like he's the most popular figure in nascar so you want to really create stuff up to his level and that's Mm -hmm. i guess the inspiration motivation behind kind of all the stuff we do have you ever been to uh dirty mo acres in the race car graveyard have you ever been out there I'm not. I'm hoping someday. That's where TJ and I are going to play basketball when it happens one okay, day. Okay. So maybe in the future, but I don't know. It seemed like from all the videos, it looks pretty cool out there. Well, I know that you guys have a lot of good people over there. I'm sure Casey or Hannah will uh, be able to help you out with some some play-by-play, but you see I'm wearing my Wizards shirt right now, yeah. and I have some Michigan State women's basketball play-by-play experience in college. Hey. So if you need somebody to do play-by-play or I'll be the stat boy, just call me up. I'll drive down. I'll gladly, gladly help you out. So the offer's there. Yeah, we'll bring in all the big shots for this really important <laughs> basketball game. Yeah, it has to be. Well, how tall are you, by the way? Because people that haven't met you, like Jason's really tall. Are you over six foot? Yeah, six two. Jeez. And TJ is not 6'2". Oh, no. That's why, like, when he challenged me to play basketball, I'm like, you realize how much taller I am than you. And I don't think he cares. He probably thinks he's good because he's TJ. And I'm just like, I'm just going to put my hands up like this and block his shots. I I will say, so, I mean, I've never played any sport with you. But, like, when I met you the couple times, like, you're very lanky. But since you have that height, I feel like it's just you have a built-in, like, 10-point buffer at least against TJ. Because I feel like, I mean, he 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 strikes me as a scrappy kind of guy, but he also strikes me as like he can talk a lot of talk and he yeah. can't really back it up. And I feel like you're the opposite, if anything. So my money's on Jason. Thank you. Thank you very much for your trust yeah. in me. I'll, I won't let you down. Good. Um, so that was a funny story about Dale Jr. with the crutches. Do you have any other funny stories about him, Mike, or Kelly throughout the years when you're working there? Uh, probably, I mean, probably a ton of really cool stuff. It's all right. Take all the time you need. This is the beauty yeah. of podcast. We can edit it all out. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about Kelly a little bit. Cause she's, um, I don't know if they're funny stories, but just the way we've interacted. Like the first time, like I had tweeted her, I told you, I listened to her podcast. I was like the first podcast I ever listened to. I was a uh-huh. huge fan. would tweet her all the time about it and continue to do that. So the first time I met her was actually during my first weekend race weekend when I was in Charlotte in the motor speedway and, um, was, she was at doing an appearance at Sam Bass's gallery. And I was, I knew she was going to be there. I'm like, I've always wanted to meet her. I don't know when else I'm going to get a chance to meet her. So went there and was 
hoping just to say hi before she left real quick and was able to do that. But um, before I even said, hey, Kelly, I'm Jason. She was kind of like, like, hey, Jason. I was like, what in what? the world? <laughs> like, I, like, I recognize you from all your tweets. I'm like, that is so awesome, awesome. that someone like that. And she's yeah. huge. She's really good on social media. Really good with, she remembers so many people's names. Like, she's the best at that. Like of all the employees at JRM, I bet she knows pretty much everyone's name. It's wow. crazy. But like she never met me, never had to know who I am. But like just because of social media, we got to interact like that. So it was pretty cool. And um, that was always pretty awesome. Then actually a few days later, I went up to Dirty Mo, JRM and Dirty Mo Media to watch some podcasts be recorded when they were did that a bunch of years ago. And met Kelly. I didn't get to stay for her podcast, but got to say hi again. She's like, oh, hey, great to see you. I hope you had a good weekend. Kind of like chat like that. Really cool. Then on that podcast, she was interviewing Claire B. Lang, and they came up with like talking about networking and how to make it in the sport. And she's like, you won't believe, like right before I came to the studio, I got to talk to this kid named Jason, and he's really doing everything to like network to get in the sport. And wow. she did not have to say any of that or no. be like, or even acknowledge me, but she is literally the best person and this nicest and probably such a badass boss like seeing her like work and how she goes about her life yeah. and business is just super impressive and this should be a shout out to her book which is incredible i was I just think, gonna say i bought it i haven't read it but I'm, I'm going to yeah it's really good especially like stories about her dad and then her growing up and her business but also i think the third part is like the ultimate um guide to working in nascar mm -hmm. it's like if you want to work in nascar read her book because she'll teach yeah. you how to get, get the job so there's there's a lot of badass women in the sport. I mean, from from young girls like Haley Deegan, Brittany Zamora to, you know, Brianna Daniels being the tire changer that works in the Cup Series now. But I I think Kelly probably tops the list. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there's a ton of really badass uh, women in the media. But I've I've never been been able to talk to Kelly or meet her. But like, she's intimidating. Yeah. Like just just seeing her like on camera or just listening to her, I'm like. Mm -hmm. Man, like I, I, I would want to work for her because I feel like she'd run through a brick wall for me. But yeah. I also feel like she would run through me like a brick wall because yeah. she's just she's something else. But that that's cool that she was able to, you know, name drop you a little bit and, yeah. and help you through things. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So we've been talking for like what forty five minutes, and we've barely <laughs> even talked about DBC. Um, What's that? So, congrats to you for being able weekly to corral Brett, yeah. TJ, and Freddie because. One, physically, not easy. Two, no. emotionally, mentally, way, 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 way harder. Um, what goes into being a producer for any show, but specifically DBC with this cast of characters? What goes into that that the people that are listening may not see? That's interesting. Good question. Um, a lot of prep, and they like to make fun of me for not prepping or doing that stuff, but I'm telling you to be make sure they're on their game make sure they're able to follow along like we have a printout show sheet that mm -hmm. basically outlines the whole show a shit show maybe people don't know that because yeah exactly that's a <laughs> famous dvc line and people probably don't know that it's it's not like the whole show is not scripted but it's like lays out the topics lays mm -hmm. out the order when she'll talk what lays out sponsor reads and stuff like that it's very and professional so, like like working in tv there's yeah. like, again, it's not laid out with the script and everything, but there's blocks of shows and, mm. you know, what's a SOT, what's a, what's a VO, what's a B-roll. And it's, yeah. it's similar to this because I've seen like in your Snapchats and like Hannah's Snapchats too. Yeah. It's very, very intuitive. So like you do yeah. a great job at those shit shows. 
Yes, exactly. And that's how <laughs> I keep like that's how you keep them in line by making sure they stay on yeah, subject no and stay focused and stuff. But they're like they're all really great guys, and it's really it's easy. Like you like they give me a hard time, and they seem really crazy, but it's easy to work with them. And they're really flexible, really cool about how we go about everything. Um, don't really listen to me. I'll have to like, I'll try to like guide them, but then they don't really pay <laughs> no, attention. No. But usually they into, I guess, intuitively like remember what I say and like do what I say. So it's kind of like, they won't acknowledge that they're listening to a 22 year old producer podcast. And that's another story. I wonder what they thought when the first time they heard, I was 19 when I started producing that show. Mm-hmm. I was like, wonder what they thought when they said, Hey, we're going to bring a new producer. He's 19. I don't think they even knew that. So. Well, weren't you working when it was like Kristen and Amish Josh? Like you were back yeah. in those days, right? Yeah. So I started um, editing the show kind of remotely that first half of the right, right, last right. half of that right. year when they were still on it. So, and that was, they like gr- grilled me. They didn't know who was like writing their show sheets or writing their topics. And so on the shows, it was like a weekly like roast session of this guy. They I remember those. So that was like, I was like the second episode, I think they blasted me for the stuff I wrote on the show sheet. I'm like, I'm done. I remember like, those because I think I, I texted you like after they like grilled you yeah. and I was like, damn, dude, you got to have thick skin. And that, that was my next thing. I said, I feel like you need to have thick skin. But then I wrote in parentheses. You also know that they have respect for you because yeah. even though Brett always makes fun of you and so does yeah. TJ and Freddie um, at the end of the day. The show would not be what it is if it wasn't for you. I mean, like, yeah, they're the personalities that are on it. You know, they're the co-hosts and and the people that talk. But if there's not a producer that puts in all the legwork, all the grunt work and is on top of his shit every single week and is not afraid to call them out on their shit, which they have a lot of, you know, every single week, the show would not be what it is. And I think even though they give you a hard time and I think they fired you like two weeks ago, um, like like you know that they know that, which has to be cool. Yeah, no, the respect thing is huge. Just, I think I know that if they're making fun of me, they probably like me. If they stop mm-hmm. doing that, I'll have to be worried. But like, they're super great to work yeah. with. And I, like them bringing, like they just bring it every week and they have this great insight and these great opinions and these great connections in the sport to make the show what it is. So I'm lucky to be able to piece it all together and make it into a presentable product to go out in the public. But it's just awesome to be able to work with people like that that are also so interested in putting on a good show. Yeah and wanting to make it um, something special. More than a presentable product. I, I can say that with certainty. Um, so you had Bubba on this past week. You may have Johanna Long on in the coming weeks, yeah. which I'm excited for. Yeah. Um, you had Blake Shelton on a couple weeks ago. Who, I guess two-parter, who's the coolest person that you've been able to have on the show since you've been a producer, and who's the one guest that you're like, God, I really want to get this person on? Blake Shelton, for sure the coolest. I didn't okay. get a chance to, you know. Because you're big into country him. music, too. Yeah, yeah, no, and I was like, he's a superstar, like one of the biggest names. And I was like asking my friends, I was like, hey, guess who we're gonna have DBC this week? And they're like, who? I'm like, he's got 20 million Twitter followers, and they're like, who in the world would that be? So yeah. that was so awesome. And the fact that he asked Brett to come on the show, like it right. was that says Brett a lot. Said he dude, never I'm once you. asked him. Yeah, it was like he was just loves NASCAR, he loves Clint Boyer, and that's why I hope Clint stays around for a while because we mm-hmm. need personalities like that and people like Blake to be interested in NASCAR, which is so awesome. So that's been awesome. Um, we're actually having, I think we talked about this, Ryan McGee's coming on next week's show. And Sweet. Uh, like I was a OG Marty and McGee listener. So that's yeah, a really cool 100%. deal. And maybe Marty Smith would be another dream guest to have on. Yeah. So I think like that, I'm trying to think driver wise, like it's um, Clint would be awesome to have on eventually. Cause you know, him and Brett, he like would, the stories uh, they're going to tell. He, he would be fun, but like, 
you want to talk about not following the show sheet. Yeah. Don't even give him one because yeah. he would just go in a thousand different places. Yeah, I'll let Brett like be in charge of that yeah, show. Good I'm like, you that. try to control Clint. I have no <laughs> yeah. power over that. Um, but yeah, no, those are, those would be some cool guests to have on yeah. eventually. That's pretty sweet. Um, and you've had like some NASCAR brass on too. I know like, or maybe it was a DJD, but like Steve Phelps. I mean, you guys have regularly talked about Steve Phelps like on your mm-hmm. show. And uh, again, I think the Bubba thing is like really important because yeah, like I get that Freddie's a spotter and they're boys. Yeah. But the fact that, you know, he's literally at the forefront of this in- incredible movement that we're going to yeah. remember for the rest of our lives. It's just, it's really cool that you had him on. Um, yeah, last sure. question. I know I've, I've, te- I've ke- I kept you too long, so I appreciate your time. Now you're good. What, what are your ultimate career goals, aspirations at this point? Like, are you content with where you are? Do you still have like any inkling to be on air? Like do like be a host of one of the podcasts are you cool with being behind the glass and being a producer? Do you want to stay at Dirty Mo? Do you want to go the TV route? Like, like what is your ultimate goal? And and do you not know? Because it's okay if you don't. Yeah. Um, it's something I think about a lot, what eventually I want to do. I'm definitely cool with being behind the scenes. Um, it was probably the younger days being interested in journalism and trying to like do that stuff. But I'm like, I love creating content. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I love you do. doing. I think you said creating content more on this podcast and every episode of Redhead Racing Radio than I've ever heard anyone say. You're the content king. Love content. It's my favorite. (laughs) So like, I don't know, if I'm creating content, it's what I want to do with my life. And I hope to continue to do that in whatever role. And I'm cool. Like, I don't even like just in sports in general, like I'd love to, I don't know how this would happen, but go to the Super Bowl and be a content creator on the sidelines. Like, I don't know how that would happen, but that'd be a freaking awesome experience to do. So like, I'm cool with, I don't know, just wherever I can create content for big sporting events, for big organizations like Dirty Mo, like whoever else it could be. That's probably what my ultimate goal is. Um, would love to be able to shape NASCAR's content, like how they approach content. That'd be a huge, like 20 year goal to be able to be in a position like that and be able to shape how they kind of present themselves digitally to the world. And, um, but um, but like Dirty Mo, I feel like they're just, it was, it's so like where I want to go. Cause Dirty Mo's, I feel like the top in NASCAR content realm. It's like, yeah, I so thankful to be at this position already. You're 22 I'm like, I and you're at the top, bro. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, I don't want to leave. I want to stay here and keep doing really yeah. cool stuff. Cause it's going to keep growing and being a part of it now and just be able to see where it goes. And, um, I think that probably five year plan, definitely at Dirty Mo media creating cool, um, great content would be plan but maybe i know by the time i'm 50 it'd be cool to work with some big big doing big time content somewhere i don't even know where but kind of like that all right um i think for your birthday i'm just gonna get you a shirt that just says content on it yes um you really need that yeah our mutual friend andrew curlin said i think last year he was like for your birthday i'm gonna get a pillow that says content on it i'm like yes he never (laughs) did it i'll follow through but i told him he that's I need that and the shirt would be perfect. Maybe Andrew and I will pitch in. We'll get we'll get you like a whole outfit. We'll get you a hat, a shirt, some shorts, some socks, some shoes, a pillow, whatever. And you can wear it to the show the next week and then you'll get made fun of for it. It'll be great. Yeah. See, I can't set myself up for getting made fun of. That's easy to do. <laughs> true, true. And I fall in the trap all the time. So I don't I'll wear it, but just not to the EVC. Okay, that's fair. We can agree on that. Yeah. Um well, listen, man, this has been fun. I've enjoyed catching up with you. It's been a while since we saw each other face-to-face, on Zoom, whatever. Um, but I hope I get to see you at the track sometime soon. Yeah. It was great great hearing about your story again, even though we've kind of lived it together low-key, yeah. which I think is really cool. Um, 
super proud of where you've gone so far and where you continue to go. Keep me on the ride with you because I want to ride your coattails all the way to success because I've done it so far with Turn 4 Racing News. So maybe I'll do it eventually all the way to shaping NASCAR's content when we're both 50 years old in our rocking chairs. No, we'll be in charge of all NASCAR's content, but I appreciate you having me on. I like, I know I don't listen to your show enough, but I do catch probably a couple episodes every once in a while. And enjoy, like, you're so you're good at storytelling. And that's what I love most about content, especially is like, you gotta be good at storytelling to be good at this industry. And you're super good at that. So I really admire your ability to tell stories and create really good content and, I don't know. You're one of the best Twitter followers for like, I know, you know, there's Bob Pockers and Jeff Gluck, but Davy Center keeps you updated with cool <laughs> nuggets, of information and news, and you're going to the track too. So yeah. it's a lot of good stuff out there. I know probably everyone that's listening to this podcast follows you, but yeah. just in case they don't, they really got to check, check out your stuff. Well, I appreciate that. It means a lot coming from you because, because as I said, you're the content king. Um, so thank you, bro. I, I mean, I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I appreciate it. Um, it's been fun, man. It's been over an hour. I'll let you get back to your night because it's 11 p.m. on Tuesday for a peek behind the curtain because uh, we had to work through Jason's busy podcast schedule and my busy golfing schedule and driving back to Delaware schedule. So, my man, it's been fun. Enjoy Ryan McGee next week. Um, and if you ever need anybody in a pinch to guest host or to be a guest on to get grilled by Brett, yeah. TJ, and Freddie, I know a guy. So just keep that in mind. I know a guy, too. He'll, he'll be ready. <laughs> Cool. All right, Jason. Thank you, man. And we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. As I said, it was it was just fun to catch up with him because I hadn't seen him in a long time. I think since probably end of 2018. Maybe I saw him in 2019 at some point. But he's a cool he's a cool dude, and he's killing it right now. And I'm really happy to see him have some success. So I thank him for spending some time with me to chit chat. Let's briefly preview this weekend's race at Bristol Motor Speedway. Bristol. Round of 16 cutoff race. It's going to be wild. It's going to be crazy. It's probably up there with the wildest elimination races for the playoff rounds in recent memory. I know that we had Talladega before, and we had some crazy stuff happen there. The Roval, that was obviously insane for a multitude of reasons. But heading to a short track, especially this specific short track, with the action that we saw earlier this year there with Joey Logano and Chase Elliott getting into it at the end, Man, oh man, I am excited to see what goes down. Some storylines heading in. Let's talk about the bubble first. Ryan Blaney is in a virtual must-win scenario. He is 27 points below the cutoff, which is wild to think about considering the regular season that he had. Matt Benedetto is 25 points below the cutoff. So both of them are probably in must-win situations unless they get a whole lot of stage points in the first two frames and a lot of people have trouble ahead of them. But... They're going to need a lot of help for that to happen. They'd rather just win the race and have everything in their own hands. William Byron right now is the first driver out. He is minus three. Cole Custer is minus eight. You have Eric Almarola and Kurt Busch plus seven above the cutoff, and Clint Boyer is hanging on by the skin of his teeth. He is plus three over the 24 of William Byron. I just finished taping the third episode of the Grid Challenge with Andrew Curlin, so be sure to check that out after you listen to this if it's posted. Probably going to be out on Saturday morning. But we gave our predictions on who is going to be the four out after this round. I went with DiBenedetto and Blaney. I think even though they can win, because we've seen DiBenedetto get oh so close last year, and Blaney's led laps in a lot of prior Bristol races, I just think it's a tall task to, to, to win a race when your back's against the wall like this with the competition that is up against them. I think Eric Amarola is going to make it in. 
I think Cole Custer is not going to make it in, and I think Clint Boyer will fall out being the last driver in at the moment. So those are my predictions. But also you got to look at the guys above them. Kyle Busch, can he get the win? Can he get off the schneid? Um, Joe Gibbs Racing on short tracks, they're historically really good. Martin Truex Jr., can he finally get a win instead of finishing second or third every single time? Denny Hamlin's had an uncharacteristic two-week stretch of finishing outside the top 10. Can he fix those woes? Eric Jones, can he come out of nowhere? I don't know. Brad Keselowski, is he going to be able to win at Bristol again? He did that earlier this year when Chase Elliott and Joey Logano got into it. Elliott himself, he won the All-Star race earlier at Bristol this year. Kevin Harvick had a fast car there. there there's always storylines when you go into any race, especially when you're talking to me and I can pick and prod everything. But Bristol, elimination race, round of 16, playoffs, short track, tempers, flaring, retribution. It's all going to happen at Bristol. Saturday, 7.30 Eastern, NBC or NBCSN, I forget. I can't wait. Look, that's of the week. Cue that funky music, white boy. You guys see that Mike Wallace was suspended by NASCAR earlier last week for violating section 12.8.1.E of the rulebook, which stated any, quote, public statement and or communication that criticizes, ridicules, or otherwise disparages another person based on that person's race, color, creed, national origin, gender, sexual orientation, marital status, religion, age, or handicapping condition. So pretty much, and you can look up the post yourself, he said some things on Facebook that were not the most, I don't know how to say it, but basically there's more than a hint of racism associated with them. So Mike Wallace, unfortunately, not the good guy that we may have thought. Hopefully he can, you know, repair for the damage that he's done, but did not say some great things on social media and he's paying for it. Red Farmer, NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee, he's thankfully recovering at home now after he was hospitalized for a few days with COVID-19, so I'm glad that Hall of Famer is all right. Camping World will become the name of the Truck Series once again as the entitlement sponsor, Marcus Limonis uh, of Camping World. He wanted Gander RV to be the title sponsor to get some more brand awareness. He said that that mission has been accomplished, and now it will switch back to Camping World. Sam Mayer. K&N homie, he will race part-time in the Xfinity Series next year for Junior Motorsports for the second half of the year once he turns 18. And in 2022, so we already know what he's doing, he's going to be full-time in Xfinity at Junior Motorsports. So another graduate of the Junior Motorsports late model program joining William Byron, I believe, to have a full-time ride in Xfinity set up. So congratulations to Sam. Really cool to see him have that success already. Been a good guy to me in my career and is a hell of a wheelman. So congrats to Sam. Daniel Suarez and Gaunt Brothers Racing, they are parting ways at season's end. And he said that he was a free agent to our Dustin Albino at Front Stretch. Albino, sorry. Um, And it came out yesterday that he's not going to be returning with them. He thanked Toyota and Marty Gaunt for all that they've done for him, which now is leading to some more speculation and reporting that the mystery thing that Denny Hamlin may buy into ownership but still drive the 11 car. Was he going to buy Levine? Was he going to buy Jermaine? Is he going to buy Gaunt Brothers? I saw a report from Jim Utter in Motorsport.com that said that now Hamlin is probably looking into buying GBR since they're already a Toyota-backed outfit, put Bubba in that seat, and then he will become either a majority or a minority owner of that team. But you also got Justin Marks and Floyd Mayweather Jr.'s teams that are looking for charters. 
So there's a ton of moving pieces, silly season-wise. I mean, goodness. He's still got Corey LaJoy, unknown where he's going. Ryan Priest, Bubba Wallace. Um, who else? Ty Dillon. Like, there's a ton of people that are still up in the air with what they're doing. So I don't know what's going to happen, but I know that I can't wait to find out. And we'll tell you all about it here right on Victory Lane. So that will wrap things up for 73, the episode 73 of Victory Lane 2.0. As always, if you like what you heard, leave me a rating, review, subscribe to this podcast. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud. Anywhere that podcasts are consumed, we are available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and I'll hopefully rectify that issue for you. Until next week when we recap Bristol, preview, I think Kansas is the race that kicks off the round of 12. And we're going to have an interesting person from NASCAR's Twitterverse. That will be on the show next week. I'm really excited for you guys to hear that conversation. I'm not going to spoil anything yet. But until next time, peace and love, my dude and dudettes. Keep staying safe. Keep washing those hands. And we'll catch you on the flip side. Enjoy Bristol.